You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. From Vineyard Theatre in New York City, this is Theatre Uncorked. Where Vineyard artists come together to talk about the process of bringing new works to the stage. I am your host, Kevin Weinhold. The Vineyard is thrilled to be completing its 2018-2019 main stage season with the New York debut of Mara Nelson Greenberg's Do You Feel Anger, directed by Margot Bordelon. In episode 11, Mara and Margot talk about the origins of the play, keeping the show up to date as the political landscape keeps changing, the influence actors have on a new script, and the mutual respect and trust necessary for a collaborative director-playwright relationship. Let's listen. I started writing Do You Feel Anger? I think I wrote it like two months after Trump was elected. Um, I had been wanting to write about empathy coaches for a long time. And then was sort of thinking about like uh, a lot of platitudes that were being thrown around right after Trump was elected. Like we just have to love each other through this moment and, and love is all that matters and empathy is all that matters. And just thinking about like, you know, how it's easy to easy to say those things. And then all of the sort of micro moments where, where that breaks down and where it's actually really hard to just love each other really freely and openly. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I said it in a debt collection agency because it felt like a sharp contrast to what I thought of when I thought of empathy coaches. And then we didn't, we found one another um, after, right, as, as sort of as I was moving into the Humana Festival, I think Les introduced us. Yeah, that's right. So um, Actors Theatre Louisville had already signed on to produce the show and Les had recommended us as a pair so it was an arranged marriage Mm -hmm. it wasn't originally really because we we had a Skype meeting yeah um I was in Brooklyn Mara was in uh San Diego where she's in school where she's in graduate school and we had I I had set aside an hour and I think we almost talked for two hours yeah (laughs) um over Skype about the play and I really responded to the play I thought it was hilarious. It was one of those plays. I was on the subway reading and laughing out loud, looking like a crazy person. And uh, I thought it was super brilliant and smart and incisive and harrowing and funny. And we just really connected over Skype. And, And we didn't actually meet until we were doing auditions for the Humana production. And I remember meeting up with Mara and Gregory's coffee and being like, you're so tall. <laughs> because I'd only seen her electronically. That's my thing. Um, yeah. I was like, whoa, <laughs> you're quite statuesque. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we just really hit it off. I mean, that yeah. that's from my point of view. Yeah. We did. You know, it's not always a love match. And I felt like it was a pretty quick yeah. love match between us. Yeah. So then we, we did one sort of robust workshop together right that was like a yeah it was only three or four days but it was we got a lot done um we also had an incredible dramaturg so good on jenny that. page white yeah. yeah jenny page white was our dramaturg on our humana production and just really gimlet eye yeah <laughs> um also great sense of humor and um 
yeah, a really smart dramaturg. And, and the three of us really dug into that script in that first workshop, which was also with our actors from yeah. the Humana production, yeah. which was nice. We did it in New York, yeah. um, January 2017. Yeah. Um, and actually, I feel like the play changed a lot in that initial workshop, the structure of the play and the amount of scenes. I think so, too. Oh, it's true. We maybe, right, consolidated, tightened. Yeah. We streamlined some scenes. Yeah. Just like major events, marrying them into one scene. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah, we did a lot of work in that workshop. Yeah. Uh, just constantly trying to make this play shorter and shorter. That's really my, <laughs> my goal. I'm aiming for around 15 minutes. That's the, that would be the sweet spot for me. We're looking for 11.5 yeah. minutes. Yeah. That would be the, really ideal. Not yeah. quite a 10-minute play, yeah. but... Um, right, because I think that first read was maybe an hour 45. Yeah. And then by the time that we were doing runs at Humana, I think it was down to about an hour 18. Yeah. And and I don't think our goal had actually even – I don't think that it had been to get it that short. I think we were looking at 90 minutes. 70 minutes is the new 90 minutes. <laughs> Let's be honest get a drink, go watch a show, go get some more drinks. Um, but seriously, um, but now it's back, it's back to about yeah. an hour and a half. And, yeah. and that actually feels pretty good. Yeah. I think, um, because we lost some, we lost some great gags. Yeah, we did. Lose in an gags. attempt yeah. to streamline and keep it tight. I mean, yeah. it's yet to be seen what this production will end up being. We're only about, um, just a weekend. Yeah. Yeah, we're we're a week into rehearsal, so so yeah. it's yet to be seen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean part of it I think, you know, we were talking about this before, like um that we one of the tasks at hand, it feels like a sort of updating this play post times up, Me Too. I, I wrote it before the Me Too movement and it um uh it sort of it traffics in language. It's I mean it, it just uh, a lot of the language is centered around sexual harassment in the workplace um and so some of some of the task for this second the second go at the play feels like um how to make it you know it would be fun to bring as much of uh, to implicate as, as many audience members as possible through the play and I think people are are a little smarter about what you can't say what disgusting things you can't say um in the workplace to one another and so that's something we've been thinking about for this um, for this next production. Mara and I first talked, that first Skype meeting we had was a week before the Weinstein story broke. And then when it broke, I think I wrote Mara an email. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> this play just became even more topical. And part of our naive concern was, oh, even by the time this play opens in March of 2018 is this gonna already feel said and done and of course we live in um <laughs> a patriarchy still uh no it's still um utterly relevant and and that has been our task for this production is how do we you know a year later a year after me too incorporate that that movement in a way or like what has been learned from that movement in broader culture into the conversation that happens in this play which as Mara was saying is so much about you know people have 
become more familiar that these things take place, harassment, abuse take place. They've been able to acquire the correct or PC language around it, but that doesn't actually mean that their behavior or their attitudes, their like inherent attitudes about it have shifted. They've just learned to mask it better with language. So yeah. how do we thread that idea through through the play in this production? Yeah, which is kind of fun, actually, like figuring out the, the sort of like the... Um, the mental gymnastics we all do in convincing ourselves that we're good people as we like say just like a thousand words around a horrible thought you know like um and so it has been like updating some of that language in, in particular for these men but the women too are, are, are doing it with one another of like sort of hedging and I know you shouldn't and I don't mean anything by this but and then just go ahead and say um some pretty disgusting things so <laughs> yeah. um so that's been sort of fun to play with in this yeah in this go so far yeah so much of our hope for this this second production was to be able to go much deeper. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we, I, I, I loved our Humana production, yeah. and I loved our yeah. creative team, our yeah. our cast, and our designers, and um, that theater around it. And this is just such a gift and opportunity to be able to give it another go. We only have two previews for that production. So it did feel like we got to the point where we saw, oh great, this is where it can go next. And then it was, you know, happy opening. Yeah. Um, So this really gives us an opportunity to go much, much deeper as well as, you know, updating it for the moment that we're in, in this immediate time. And we know how how to work with one another better. Like yeah. I, I, you know, I sort of feel like I mean, I really, Humana was actually it was my first professional production. So so there was so much I was learning. Like I feel better uh, equipped walking into this rehearsal room than I did that. I mean, you know, um, really, I feel like at Humana it was like, you know, they had binders for the scripts, and I like couldn't <laughs> just like texting everyone I knew. I got a binder. You know, it's like really. Um, uh, so much was blowing my mind, and I and I um, and I and I do feel like we learned how to communicate with one another. I feel like there are actually moments now where it's like I have a thought about something where I'm like, oh, that's really not looking right to me. But at this point, like I know when it's also not looking right to you, and I know when to just keep my mouth shut to to like let us sort of focus on the task at hand and know that you're gonna. Um, address the thing that I'm thinking already, which sounds like a small thing, but I mean, really does, um, it's just a shorthand with one another that I feel like is there. It's so true, because I think um, for playwrights, I I don't actually know how playwrights let directors direct their plays, because I guess I'm a director, I'm like, I, the, the trust that a playwright has to have in a director that they're gonna be able to see something through and ultimately deliver on what the playwright's intention was or build upon the playwright's intention in a clear and interesting and dramatic way, I, I would have such a hard time trusting someone. And um, so I'm really grateful that you trust me oh, to deliver I mean, that. From my side, it's like, you know, I say one thing to an actor and just like tank their performance. You know, like I have no idea how to talk to like, I mean, sort of all of it. And it's like, I've got no visual sense. You know, if, if it were up to me, I would just have everyone standing in a row, just kind of like shouting things at each other for <laughs> a tight 11 and a half minutes. And then we're on our way. Absolutely. <laughs> so call back. Um, uh, yeah. So, so I mean, really, you know, it's like, I mean, I'm saying something everyone knows, but when collaboration's working well, it's like people are only only taking what you've done and elevating it and making it that much smarter, funnier, better. Um, 
which is really, I mean, you're good with comedy, like, because it, it requires, it's like so much about pacing and. Margot loves a tight show. Oh, I sure do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. 1125. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, no, I like uh, fast. I like it fast. Yeah, there, there's just like so much that, I mean, we, I think actually what's really fun about discovering, I mean, about working on a comedy is is how many jokes you can discover in the room together. You know, that it's, it is just, um, there's so much more than just language on the page and it's finding the gags is half the fun. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think when everyone is sort of speaking the same language and understands the thing underneath it, you can sort of all find the funniest jokes together because in my mind, those jokes are the things that sort of, um, have something underneath it that's sort of anchoring it to, to our world in some way, right? Like heightening some recognizable thing on our in our world and just sort of blowing it up. Um, and so I also feel like we, you know, the table work that you do to really dig into like all of the themes in the play and, and what each of the characters, their points of view and what they're up to, it then means that the jokes pop that much more because people are, are bringing those things to the humor too. Yeah. We're really blessed with... Um right now with uh, a room of exceptionally clever and quick-witted actors yeah and it's so fun it's a chatty room and it's an energized room and Mara and I were were just having a drink before this podcast and we were saying you know so much of the sculpting process throughout this rehearsal is going to be about stripping away because actually what's being generated in the room is so funny and delicious yeah and it's going to be about you know what's going to get lost on the cutting room floor because actually these actors are um inventing so many brilliant moments and we're also really blessed this round to come back with our two like leading ladies essentially that that originated the roles at humana tiffany villarin and megan hill who are just um comic geniuses and have wonderful chemistry together And um, Tiffany's playing the role of Sophia, and Megan is playing the role of Eva. And I have a long-standing relationship with both of them, working on shows. And um, it's really cool to bring them back into, I think, what is a very different production than yeah. the Humana production. Um, and different space, like what that does. A really yeah. different space. That space we did, we did that production in the round, and so it demanded. Um, a kind of largeness in performance just to be reaching the mass of people that was in that audience. And in this round, we're in a proscenium, so we can actually build performances that feel more nuanced and subtle and grounded. Um, so it's wonderful to come back to this text with these women and uh, like evolve those performances into what this production wants to be yeah. with this particular ensemble yeah yeah just sort of all getting on the same page speaking the same language but the two of them are so helpful and 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 teaching me I mean Megan Hill was in the very first reading of this play I ever did and I've I've sort of always said to her it's like she just brought I mean the character she's playing comes out the gate (laughs) saying some pretty wild things um and I I knew that about her character um but she brought so much pathos to the role like sort of the second she walks on stage you're just like oh god someone take care of that person (laughs) you know she's in trouble like and and she just brought um an enormous amount of depth and I always use the word pathos and I'm like what does pathos mean (laughs) what's I mean, I know what it means, but what's the synonym? Right, she, okay, but she brings, yeah, she just, um, you so immediately empathize with her. Um, 
And she taught me that about the character. Like, she really helped sort of guide um, how far and deep that character can go. Good dramaturgical actors just, you know what I mean? They cannot, like, we we must celebrate them because not every actor has that gift. And these two women are just such good dramaturgs. Yeah, they are. Um, yeah. They they never get so lost inside the emotional or internal lives of the characters that they're not able to dolly back and um, see what the whole kind of structure and world of the play needs. Yeah. And that's so invaluable working on a new play. Yeah. I was actually just thinking today, like, I know in an actor – is asking a really great dramaturgical question when they ask me a question about a character and I want to like throw my chair. You know, it's like, well, if you can't, if you don't know, you should just get out of this room. Like, you know, when like I get worked up, I'm like, oh, that's a real problem in the script that they're identifying, um, which has come up more than once in this rehearsal process. And and I and I feel like we've, I mean, yeah, f- five days, six days of rehearsal. I feel like the script changes that. Um, that we've made, I feel really excited about, and a lot of that did come out of out of the actors and those conversations. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, as you were talking about sort of like the paring down, I was thinking about the second challenge with comedy is going to be like when we've seen a hundred runs and get bored and start being like, wouldn't it be funny if they all spoke in a Cockney accent? You know, just start <laughs> yeah. like going crazy to make ourselves laugh. Yeah. Um, which is, I guess, what an audience is there to do is like kind of help you rein it in. But I feel like that becomes my instinct later in the runs. Is like the joke I wasn't seeing but has been in front of me this whole time is they they don't know how to they can't, none of them breathe through their nose. <laughs> I mean that's not a joke. Okay, uh, a funnier joke. Um, <laughs> no, it's yeah. true. There's a point in the rehearsal room, and it's so sad, really, for the actors when I'm just sitting there stone face, like scribbling yeah. notes. And <laughs> yeah. actually what they're doing is very funny. Yeah. I've just seen it a million times, so yeah. it's no longer funny to me. And then we move into previews and I laugh again, although my laughter is like, <laughs> like very forced, strained, yeah. uh, like yeah. nervous preview yeah. preview laughter. But I'm like, ah, they like it. <laughs> okay, they, they like it. <laughs> um, okay, good job, everyone. Um, uh but now, I mean, it's so joyful being in this part of the rehearsal process where people are just inventing, inventing, and yeah. so we're laughing it's even when you're like, that's never going to stay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Absolutely that's not, but thank you for that strong and wrong choice because <laughs> yeah. it was hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> um, let us all remember this moment. Yeah. Uh, Megan was saying to me that uh, that when certain jokes work, she watches me just like bury my head in shame because they're so gross. <laughs> I feel so mortified that it came out of my brain um which i do feel like is probably a sign that that um yeah you want some uh, some of that in in a, in a play um, i tell mar yeah she brought in some pages last week that yeah. she was embarrassed by i was like no yeah I really they like, did ultimately get cut <laughs> those rewrites <laughs> and they were really gross <laughs> i mean um i love i love the way her brain works <laughs> I, I really do i i really think like wow um, I have stuff, no yeah. idea how she invented that. That's amazing, and so wow, she hates women. <laughs> that's a wild she's, thing to learn. She's yeah. like a deep pervert. I really, really <laughs> well, love that's that. True. Yeah, <laughs> that's I think strange. we both are. <laughs> yeah. That's why we get along. Yeah. This podcast is sponsored by Cloud Optimizer. As a business owner or IT manager, are your cloud investment costs going up and you don't know why? It's time for Cloud Optimizer. 
As you migrate your business to the cloud, what you're spending and why you're spending it can get a little hazy. But Cloud Optimizer clears up the mystery and puts the cloud to work for you. Cloud Optimizer starts by analyzing usage patterns, right-sizing resources, leveraging discounts you may not be aware of, implementing automation, and much more. And by reducing unnecessary expenses and maximizing performance, Cloud Optimizer guarantees you a savings of five times what you spend for their service. As you utilize cloud-based services more and more, you don't have to lose sight or control of your spend. You can stay agile, streamline your costs, and optimize your performance, plus save significant money with Cloud Optimizer. Make the cloud work for you with Cloud Optimizer. Get a free assessment and find out how much you can save by going to cloudoptimizer.com. Go to cloudoptimizer.com for your free assessment. That's cloudoptimizer.com. And now, Mara and Margo will be answering questions from our listeners. If you would like the opportunity to submit questions for future guests of Theatre Uncorked, be sure to follow us on social media at Vineyard Theatre. The first question is, what is it like to revisit this show after some time has passed since the last production? I yeah. loved getting back into this play, and I've been looking forward to it all year, mm. really. You know, as a director... You work on pieces that you, um, you, I mean, you always find your window in and you always find a way to emotionally connect to the piece that you're working on. And this piece has just been, I felt such a deep personal connection to it, just as I was saying before from that first read that I did of it about being a woman, having a lot of rage um, because of this world we live in. So much rage after the election. And to me, the big question, the big takeaway for this play has always been, you know, what's the spiritual cost as a woman when you align yourself with power with men rather than aligning yourself with other women? Like, that's the task. That's what we need to do as women. We need to be aligning ourselves with one another. There have been so many amazing books and articles and television shows and plays that I feel like have continued to explore these ideas and questions since even we worked on this play a year ago. I'm right in the middle of Rebecca Traister's Good and Mad, which is such a brilliant piece of literature, and I've been a big fan of hers. Um, From All the Single Ladies was her first book that I read, and uh, I just get so riled up (laughs) when I read it because, and it feels so in conversation with this play, and it's so exciting to be working on a play where I feel like my outside reading, the things that I'm just wanting to expose myself to, um, not as homework, not as a not as director homework, um, but the things I'm aligning myself with anyway or exposing myself to anyway are in perfect alignment with my work. That's so exciting. Well, I was just talking to someone about, about yeah. I was talking about how much your point of view um, and your taste and your, I mean, really how, how much you end up in this production but but as you are sort of like fully realizing what I have told you like that 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 um I was sort of saying it to someone who I think was worried that his voice would get lost on stage as a director of new plays um because it was so much about accommodating the playwright and putting their vision on stage and like where does that leave room for him yeah and I and I was I mean first of all your fingerprints are so all over the script. Like to me, this is your play, and to, you know that that um, so sort of just dramaturgically and a, as we've developed it together. But then also how how much your point of view ends up, um, yeah, it's just a Margot Bordelon production. 
Um, uh, Thanks. I would be curious if that took time, like what what that was to sort of become a new play director and and yeah, putting your voice on stage alongside of playwrights. Is that a question? Does that make yeah, sense? Yeah, <laughs> it does. And it's so interesting because I, I always feel like my job as a new play director, I primarily direct new plays, is especially in a playwright's first production, is to show a playwright what they have written. And obviously to do that in the clearest, most interesting and dramatic way. And I was working on a show this fall, Plot Points in Our Sexual Development by Miranda Rose Hall. We did this production at LCT3. And she said something about like me having a vision for the production. I was like, oh, I, (laughs) I don't feel like I have a vision for it. I feel like I'm just doing the play you know what's written and she's like no your point of view that you've essentialized it down to the language it was essentially um a bare set it was two chairs she's like no that's your that's your point of view like you created that but that my point of view was to essentialize it to the language I don't know I thought it was I thought it was interesting um which is all to say that I think I have a disconnected perception of I always think that I'm doing what the playwright intended but maybe I'm just doing what I intend I'm not sure or I find a way emotionally into something where I I I, hopefully there's like a symbiosis between those two things that I'm hopefully doing what the playwright has intended and also offering something yeah offering a production one of my favorite moments during tech was when I had kind of a big note for you and you said like I just need a second to process that because that idea didn't come from me and I feel like I mean I'm saying something again that you know that just it's so much about um, that playwright director relationship just requires so much open communication with one another. Yeah, I loved I loved hearing you say that you were processing it that way because it actually made me feel more than anything else that like all the decisions that that we had that you had been making that felt like they were on my behalf because it was sort of like things I had been saying to you uh-huh. like to feel like you had metabolized them and and they were coming out from your point of view, you know, that, that, that they were your thoughts also. It was um, an actor note. <laughs> was it? No, it was that huge transition. Although I am remembering with certain actor, oh, this is a podcast. I can't do your face when it was like <laughs> this, <laughs> uh, if we could oh, create God. visuals here, um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when I would be sort of like trying to give you an actor note, I can at least say that you, your finger was kind of like, you know, when you're like slitting across the throat, like shut it down. You know, <laughs> If you know you're like I'm I'm we're getting there like, yeah. we just, <laughs> um, don't worry I've got it I've got it I swear I've got it I think I've got it do I have it no but I I, I did I, I love that idea that like um and I think it's a, a tribute to how um good of a communicator you are that it's like I say something to you it ends up on stage and I think it came from me and it came from the two of us you know that like that you've worked with so many um playwrights first productions uh, I've also been re- really grateful for that because I, I don't think I sort of, my ideas don't sort of come fully formed about what I mean for how they're going to end up on stage. And I, I think you're just a really good listener. Thanks, Mara. That's so nice. I, I think we're ready to. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, yeah. 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 It's interesting. Um, I think that um, I found myself receiving and delivering notes to actors I think of this as actors that have come from playwrights and then actors questioning me and then realizing that I was just relaying but I was I hadn't metabolized them I hadn't Mm -hmm. fully understood the note and and then I feel like a messenger and then stuff and then I don't feel like I have ownership over something so I think it's something about my process that I've 
I've been slowly trying to incorporate and learn is to take time to say, okay, I'm going to process that so I can figure out the best way to communicate it. So it is also coming from me. Yeah. Yeah. But right. you, but, but again, I think playwrights have to be so patient. Like I, I can't imagine the kind of patience and trust it takes to be a playwright, especially on your first production because the stakes feel so high and, yeah. and I just never want to take that for granted with writers that I, I, I never want to forget the kind of um, vulnerability and anxiety and stakes of that. I have a lot of empathy. The good news is I have not let you forget that. Uh, my anxiety is uh, <laughs> now you're right a pro, girl. The, yeah, right at the f- the forefront of our process together. <laughs> anxiety. Um, we have some nice, really shared neuroses. Yes, I feel that is true. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. True. Our next question is for Mara. What are some common themes and threads you find showing up in your writing? I think I like creating a little language within the world that I can kind of twist around. That feels like uh, I tend to consistently I would say write sort of heightened comedies that feels like a, a common thread yeah I think I like um I like writing about the ways in which people sort of wield power over one another and and I like thinking about I feel like I, I sort of revisit the thing of like the ways in which we're in which I'm my my, my characters are um sort of complicit they, they, the ways in which people engage in that power language, but but still can uphold a narrative to themselves that they're good people, or um, you know, I I I do write kind of like bad guys, good guys, but then um, would hope that I do it in a generous way of like we're all bad guys and good guys. Um, yeah, love violence against women. Um, love like it. That. <sighs> I feel like that comes up a lot. Yeah, common. Th- common themes yeah I um somehow kneecaps have made it into almost every play that I've written thus far uh really what I want people to get away yeah when they walk away from do you feeling right I just want everyone thinking about kneecaps that feels like sort of the biggest yeah sort of big takeaway yeah big takeaway um I really like using comedy I mean I feel like I've said this many times before um but I I like using comedy as a way of sort of bringing people uh, creating creating a world that seems like pretty heightened and absurd, allowing people to laugh at it, and then sort of trying to ground it over the course of the play um, as a way of implicating the audience and uh, sort of showing showing the audience that the things that they were laughing at that seemed so wild and so out of this world um, and like things that were, yeah, distant enough that they could be punchlines are actually kind of closer to the reality um, in which we live than they may have realized when they first um, were introduced to the world on stage. So um, I like trying to pull the rug out from, yeah. from under from under people with um, with that sort of heightened comedy. What was your original introduction to empathy coaches or your original curiosity with well, empathy coaches? Well, my mother is a doctor and had taught empathy um, to other doctors. Uh, and... Um, I learned about narrative medicine. Someone's telling me about narrative medicine at Columbia, which is a lot about sort of asking patients about their trauma as you're treating them. Um, and then, uh, yeah, loved the idea of sort of like, yeah, how you would teach empathy step by step. And went online really and just found these courses, you know, and I have that little booklet that I sent you that's, um, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, a lot of the exercises in the play are just directly taken from 
from those exercises of like, you know, actually some of the stuff that's in that booklet I thought were like probably more theatrical. There's one which is like mime, like act out a fight. (laughs) That's like a really great theatrical moment. Yeah. yeah, but these things of like someone tell a story and then everyone else in the room listen and say back, wow, you must have felt sad when your dog died. Is that right? And um, I, I, uh, I cannot imagine. It's, it's a funny thing to think about, like how much that could rock anyone's world. Um, but but maybe it really maybe it really could. Um, yeah. Do, do you think empathy can be taught? Yeah. I mean, I think just like the the thing of put yourself into someone else's shoes, think about how that might feel. I, I think we're all remarkably self-centered creatures and mm-hmm. it can be easy um, to forget that other people's experiences are different from your own. I think empathy can be taught too. Um, I think there's just something about getting older and being humbled by the experience of, of, of getting older, experiencing life. It's heartbreaks, it's celebrations. Um, it's humiliations, right? That opens you up to uh, a broader and deeper emotional experience. And I think about this so much when I am teaching. I teach um, amazing young actors at Pace University, um, BFA acting students, 19 and 20 year olds. And they're remarkably talented. And I also say to them, like, you're also going to be better actors in 10 years just because you will have lived more life. Yeah. And you're going to, I mean, being humbled by things, um, I think is a great gateway to, to, to empathy. Yeah, so if, if you could have a, a conversation with the audience before the show, what would you want to tell them? How would you want to prep them for this? Yeah, um, I, it's a good question. What would I... I mean, I think as as loose as people can be going in, right? Like, it definitely like um, the world requires like some some uh, suspension of belief uh, and letting the play wash over you. Like, I, I kind of like the idea of creating something that people would be able to see more than once and and catch new things and find more jokes and overlap and um, and I think. What that means is like putting together a show where you could miss things on a first go and just kind of being like the the idea that the effect of the play as a whole could wash over you and be sort of accomplishing some of the things that we're setting out to talk about and do without it having to be about like each each tiny moment, you know, um, being clocked every step of the way. So that's maybe one thing like going in with um, an open mind, an R-rated set of ears and... uh, (laughs) I'd say more X-rated, but yeah, yeah, NC seventeen, NC seventeen, potentially, um, and a willingness, yeah, a willingness to to let the the language and the world just kind of wash over you. Um, yeah, what do you think? I think that's right. I think um, going in like with an open heart and ready to laugh and trusting that you're going to be taken on a journey. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe with any play, I feel like definitely with comedy, it's like you kind of just have to be on its team, right? If you go into a comedy and you're not on its team, there's a very good chance you won't laugh at all, right? Like, I mean, and and I feel that too, just like watching watching the same movie twice and one time just like my arms crossed and being like, this is so juvenile and so stupid. And then sort of 
the second time around with with um usually it's like with other people who are who are laughing like you know that that part of comedy is just like going on a ride yeah um so maybe to watch generously um leave a high yelp rating <laughs> um yes please yeah um but that yeah that some of it is just um yeah hoping that people are are open to laughing in the first place i think like once those first few laughs get going the rest are easier um i'd like to know about some of your inspirations in the theater i do feel like the the people in my you know in within the past 10 years um that that i i sort of am routinely inspired most by my peers and just being in writers groups and reading new plays by by friends and seeing sort of um yeah the wild things that are coming out of the minds of people who I love or who I don't know but love from afar um and a lot of that was just um being in writers groups with people and opening up a script and being like what (laughs) yeah you can do that you know um and I, I think especially in writers, I mean, you know, going to readings and workshops and all of that, but I do think there's something about being in writers groups with, with other writers as they're like really um, in that like wild first draft phase where they just bring in something and they're like, I have no idea what this is. And it, you know, uh, it just goes so haywire so quickly um, in a way that's really exciting and sort of before it's been shaped at all or pared down um, that often... Um, like the, those are the those were the moments in my twenties that I feel like were sort of the most exciting to me and taught me the most about what theater can do is just watching friends take these wild risks in 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 these writers groups. I mean, and, yeah. and seeing show and seeing, you know, off Broadway shows and readings and workshops and all of that. But um, it's true. I feel like some of the most exciting work I see in New York. I mean. I know that we have a shared love for Club Thumb and Maria Stryer, and she has such amazing taste in writers. Also, Adam Greenfield at Playwrights Horizons. Also, like, what a tastemaker I think he is. Um, Being able to identify these writers that are really exploring form that um, have truly, truly unique voices. And I really sincerely, like, count you among them, I think, and... You know that I've told you that I've like had fangirl conversations about you with so many people. <laughs> Just what a unique voice you have. And 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 as I said before, I love the way that your mind works. And it's so thrilling to watch you be rewriting on your feet in the room and you have such a comic athleticism that just it blows my mind. It it, it feels like an honor to be in the room with it. I, it's so exciting. I feel like it holds me to a kind of bar like oh my god I have to be as good a director as she is a writer and and you really make me you really set the bar and I really want to be worthy of your work I'm blushing um, <laughs> you can't see I'm laughing and <laughs> blushing but it really is true and I know Megan feels that Megan and Tiffany feel that way you know it's just so um it's 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 such a it's such an honor and a gift to be working on your New York premiere Never let me go. <laughs> I Never mean, let me go. Really, how I feel back. I, I and I, I'm. It's sort of across the board, right? Like, um, when everyone's just doing, doing such good work around you, it just it, you just want to be doing your best work too. Yeah. For Margot, should we go to this question? What has been the most challenging? What has been one of the most challenging aspects of bringing the "Do You Feel Anger" world to life? One of the most 
challenging aspects of bringing the do you feel anger world to life, I would say is navigating the tone of the play and exactly yeah. where we want to land the tone of the play and um, with our Humana production, I think that we went pretty broad and it worked for that production and it was great in part because it was in the round it was in this big space and we had to reach a lot of people and having this opportunity to revisit it as I said before in a proscenium how can we really play this stuff straight how can we play so much of this really absurd language really straight and also not get ahead of the serious turn in the play yeah how do we keep people laughing um without tipping our hat right tipping our hand tipping our hat how do we keep this absurd tone in the play without giving away yeah um where the play is going yeah no and, and I I also I, I just don't know the answer to it and, and actually I was thinking about it like I, I do feel like I have experience in the room with directors and actors and being in rehearsals but I um you know having not had had many productions especially with I mean you know these kinds of budget and set design I mean just all these designers these amazing designers behind the piece like um figuring out how the how this world lives on I mean really just even down to the things of like how does it look like how much are we winking to the audience how much does stuff feel out of place from the top you know all of that I feel like um I think we're gonna end up with two pretty different productions even in how we're just answering those questions which is really exciting and I feel like allows me to learn a lot about my writing that I'll be able to bring with me, you know, into other productions. Um, if I ever write another godforsaken play ever again, <laughs> <laughs> which remains to be seen. But um, yeah, yeah. So that, that's been sort of exciting to, yeah, to figure out together. Yeah. That's it for this episode of Theater Uncorked. Thanks to Mara Nelson-Greenberg and Margot Bordelon for joining us on the podcast. Theater Uncorked is produced and edited by me, Kevin Weinbold, and created by Eric Pargotch, with help from the Vineyard's associate producer, Ali Sky Bennett, and marketing director, Melissa Pelton. Thanks to the Vineyard Theater's artistic directors, Douglas Abel and Sarah Stern, and managing director, Suzanne Appel, along with the entire Vineyard staff. Thanks to Peter Lerman for creating the theme music to our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. And last but not least, a special thanks to you for listening to Theater Uncorked at the Vineyard. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.